HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And did you know that April is Eggs Benedict Month? I think it even has a specific day, but who knew? (laughs) It is probably the most popular brunch dish, and it has even traveled across the shores of America into other lands as well. But I have a really interesting story to tell you about the origins, or not. I'm not going to tell you, I guess is going to tell you about the origins of Eggs Benedict. And even more interesting is we're going to discover the background and history of America's first restaurant. And I say that restaurant with quotation marks around it because the first fine dining establishment, the first to use the word restaurant, and that is the venerable Delmonico's. Delmonico's in New York City in the financial district, which we now call the financial district. It was New York way back when. And it all started around 1827. And prior to 1827, people didn't eat in fine dining establishments. They ate in taverns. They ate in boarding houses. They ate in cafes. Whatever food was served them, table d'hote, as, as the French called it, you got your menu of the day. And it wasn't until um, eight, the late 1800s, I mean the early 1800s, 1827 or so, we'll get the full story on that, when a couple of, of brothers opened Delmonico's. They had been, they had been coming to America to sell and import wine and, and other things. And they said, Ooh, we could we could do a nice European dining place here. Nobody has that. We might make some inroads in the market. Well, all things happened, and then all things fell apart, and there were fires, and there were changes of location. There were many Delmonico's. But in 19, 1837, they finally built and started the, what is the, well, they even nicknamed it, the Citadel, the, <laughs> the, the massive, fancy, wonderful, I want to say old-style dining establishment. And 
to really give some of the history and some of the inside stories of that, I have Delmonico's current executive chef, Billy Oliva, and Billy is here with me, took time away from that restaurant, to tell us all about what's happening today at the restaurant, but also to tell us a lot of the the history of it. <clears throat> Billy is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America, and he's worked in all kinds of kitchens and restaurants with under a lot of great chefs, and uh, including the Tao chef Sam Hazen. And he then went, he, like Eggs Benedict, left our shores and went to cook in, um, in uh, places in Europe, in Italy, and, and most prominently in Ireland, where he took over the Baltimore Customs House. I like what the restaurant bio says <clears throat> about Billy. It says, fusing modern influences and traditional techniques with an emphasis on fresh, local, and organic ingredients, Chef Billy breathes new life into Delmonico's signature dishes while preserving the restaurant's iconic history and original standards. And I think that really sets the tone for what I want to talk about today, and that is that although Delmonico's is the new form of restaurant, it's not the original owners by any by any means, and it's um, not in the actual original location in the second original location but the fact that it is once again a, a, by my feeling a european style grand dining experience welcome billy thank you thank you it's great to be here and i have to say that having visited delmonico's it it really transported me Oh, it does. It, it, it is classic New York when you walk through the doors. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's so nice to have a place where you can go and dine and have a conversation. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of great, you know, little restaurants where, you know, where you can get small plates and, and have noisy conversations. Yeah, if you it's can. tough to hear. Yeah. But this is really an elegant place. Oh, it is. It is. It, 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 it was. It's history. It and is. when you walk through the door, you feel that way. And how did you come? Now, I know a little bit about your early history. It's in your bio, but you also told it to me. <laughs> um, you've always liked these historic places. Yeah, I don't know how they found me. Um, I, I started my career in Francis Tavern when I was about 12 years old. Shh, don't tell me when you're I know, underage. I know. <laughs> um, Francis Tavern, for those of our listeners um, who don't know, is the first tavern in uh, in America, I believe, correct, yeah, correct, and it's all, again down in the lower depths of of New York City, and it's still there, um, and it has a museum upstairs as the well. Museum is upstairs, yeah. and I believe George Washington made his farewell address. Yes, there. he did. Yeah. So. Okay, and go on. So there, you were cooking there. No, you were working there when you yeah. were twelve. You weren't cooking. No, I wasn't cooking. <laughs> I was actually my brother was the general manager. He's uh, quite a bit older than me, and. Uh, my dad passed away at a very early age, and my mom was like, okay, now what are we going to do? <laughs> now what are we going to do with him? So I went to work there. And um, I says, wow, I was in the kitchen, washing dishes, doing laundry, washing pots. And I saw one of the chefs flambe a dish, and I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that it got you. It, you it got in your blood at an early age. And, and that was it. It pretty much went from there. We never did anything else. So you went on to culinary school and then traveled all the world and cooked in a lot of different places. Ended up back downtown. A block away from a where block I away, Downtown New York, right, in another historic place. Well, what, you know, my question to you is it must have been tempting 
to want to, I mean, obviously you learn to cook so many different things in so many different countries. And it must have been very tempting for you to to innovate and put all kinds of new things on the menu. But you've really, as they say, breathed new life into these classic dishes. Uh, tell me a little bit about that experience for you. Well, it was um, kind of the whole experience when I first got there. You walk in, you look around, you see what's what the restaurant is. You have to keep that history. Um, but you also have to realize people don't eat the same way that they ate 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we would all be on cholesterol medicine if we did. <laughs> you know, so the my concept was, okay, take those dishes and bring them somewhere into today's world, but still kind of hold somewhat of the tradition. Right. Lighten them up maybe a little bit. Yeah, but, take yeah. some cream Get out, them, replace yeah. them with... With you know creams with stocks and but hey, the reason somebody goes to Delmonico's is to indulge, right? <laughs> true, true. And, well, then that and that's interesting because that brings me to um, an interesting point that a lot of people think of Delmonico's as just a steakhouse. And, true, and that you know, I mean, that not until later in its own early career, late in the late thirties or forties, uh, Alessandro Filippini. I mean, he's really the one who introduced the steak, right? I with the Domonico steak, yeah. yeah. Which and I, now is a cut that you can buy in, at the butcher. Tell me about the Domonico steak. So back back in the day with Alessandro, um, the Domonico steak was the best cut that he could find at the time. It was the best cut available. Today, that's kind of turned into the ribeye, which is the Domonico steak. So um, downtown, well, in all the Domonicos, we serve the a boneless ribeye as our Domonico steak. It has a good fat content. It's highly marbled, and fat equals flavor. So, that's right. That's that's where we go with that. And it's so it's called the Delmonico steak. And you can go into your butcher and ask for a Delmonico. Correct. Steak, right. Yeah, that really put it on the map. <laughs> but it's so much more than a steakhouse. I mean, I really have to emphasize to everyone: it, it what an elegant. You know, it's not stuffy, and it's not. You know, you don't have to. You know, wear your opera cloak, no, and it's not, not that all. old not style all. elegance. It's it's comfortable, very comfortable, and has that elegance. Fantastic murals on the walls too for people who have not gone in to see, even just to go in as a you know to, as a little side tour, yeah. you know, as a museum. It is. Do you have a lot of people coming through? Every day we have people that come in to take pictures. Uh, we must have had three or four people yesterday. Coming in, just it's tourists to coming pictures, in just to take yeah. pictures. The oh. woodwork, the the trim on the on the walls, everything is just you don't see stuff like that anymore. Well, now, rumor has it, or lore has it, we're <coughs> not sure which, that the pillar. If you, um, we're going to post a picture of um, of the front of the restaurant on the website, so people can see there are two pillars holding up the um, the the portico, and supposedly. These are Pompeii, from Pompeii? From Pompeii, yep. Back in, in the 1800s, they were brought over specifically for for that building. Wow. Yeah. I, I, do we know for sure that that was Pompeii? Well, we, we're just going to say they're from Pompeii. Yeah, I, I wasn't around. <laughs> but I, I do know that they say that a lot of the, the famous Wall Street people that came in and out would rub them for good luck. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah, because it turned into, the, you know, it is, it is the the money capital. The exchange is right there, it right sure around is. the corner, right? So they needed it. Well, in fact, that, and that played a big part in, in part in some of uh, Domenico's history because it had its ups and downs. Um, and speaking of its history, 
um, we'll get into a lot of the firsts that it had. But just so people know, there were several at one point they did like many restaurateurs. You know, they had such a great run. They started to open lots of them throughout the city. Right? They did. They were uptown. They were downtown. They had pastry shops, restaurants. At one point, the Delmonico's downtown was the restaurant. It was a hotel, and it was. It's even been said that it was also a brothel. Uh, I believe that <laughs> has that look. It could have that up, the upstairs. <laughs> the I upstairs, could see that yeah, it would have upstairs, that look. Yeah. Know, nobody knew what went on the, yeah, up there. Right, so. right. And those were the days, right? Yeah, that was that was something. Um, and then little by little, you know, they would they closed, and there was a big one at um, Madison and Twenty Six, and. and that was, I believe, where the fire was. Is that it? And then 44th Street was it was the big one that lasted, I think, a little longer. And then, of course, things happened. You know, the, the stock market crash, the crash of 29 and, you know, fires and all kinds of things. Yeah. So little by little, they closed. And, and the one that you're at now, it stayed around for quite a while and then closed and was rebought by other people, right? Correct. And... Um, and then how long has it been Delmonico's as it with this company, with this restaurant company? With the gentleman that own it now, it's been around 17 years. Okay. So 19, yeah, about 99 yeah. or something, right. Um, and it's, I mean, you really, they really have done a wonderful job trying to preserve that, that original look. I yeah, think. They, they have um, trying to preserve it, trying to, you know, as far as the food goes, trying to bring it into the 21st century, still keep all that classic look. Um, we ran into a little bit of trouble with Hurricane Sandy in the basement, oh, right. in the party rooms, yes. and uh, we had to kind of do a, a renovation two times on that room. Wow, yeah. And was the restaurant closed for any period of time after Hurricane Sandy? Uh, we were closed for about three weeks just because there was no there was no power, no electricity. Yeah, right? There was no electric, so we had <laughs> there were no food deliveries, <laughs> there were no street lights. There was no nothing happening. Right? Yeah, and all the damage that took place was on the lower levels, the party rooms, the wine, the wine room was damaged, the downstairs kitchens. Well, you would never know it today to walk in. No, they did. They did an excellent job, job bringing it yeah. back. You know, um, you said bringing into the twenty first <laughs> century, and, and that is interesting because she- to restaurants today um, often are chef driven. And Delmonico's was not a chef-driven restaurant initially. I mean, it was just a fine dining establishment. And as I mentioned earlier, they had a lot of firsts, which we will talk about. And it wasn't until probably what, when uh, Charles Ranhofer. Correct. Right? Yeah, Charles Ranhofer when he came the in, first celebrity chef. Right. And when did he come in? In the late 60s. I have to look at my notes. Let's all look at our notes. Um, We'll get that. I think that was in was ni- in the in 1962. I mean, 1862. 1862. 1862. Yeah, the 1862. early 1860s. Right. He came in, and then he became he really became sort of the first chef to be identified with the restaurant. Correct. Right. Um, he wrote the Epicurean Cookbook. The Epicurean. Uh, okay, it's a beautiful, a yeah, beautiful old book. Yeah, which we, we actually have a beautiful copy. We just got our hands on one last week uh, from 1894. Wow, first edition. Huh? Yeah. I, the only thing I've seen, I've seen them, they're often on auction, um, but they'll be, you know, like the 11th edition or, you know, Correct. later right. editions. We have a 1902 edition, which was the only one we had. And um, actually one of my purveyors said, hey, I, I met this guy, said he had a cookbook in his in his basement for years. It was his great, great grandmother's and he took it out and it was uh, actually signed by the Delmonico brothers. 
Wow. Quite interesting. That is that is really a find. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so with <clears throat> with um, Charles Ronhofer there and with the restaurant itself, um, prior to him, there were, as I mentioned, a lot of firsts. Firsts in New York City, first in restaurants. Well, first of all, to use the word restaurant, yeah, as I said at the top of the show, yep, right? Yep. Uh, that word was a French word. It had never been used for a dining establishment. Tell me about some of the other firsts that Delmonico's established. Well, well, we'll start with food, and we'll go, we'll go on with that. Um, baked Alaska was invented in Delmonico's. Mm. Um, Eggs Benedict, which we've kind of briefly ran by. That was the top of the show, right. <laughs> so the story about the Eggs Benedict. Tell me why, how... What a lot of people claim to have started Eggs Benedict, but a lot of people claim to have started Caesar salad and everything else. And Delmonico's has a story. What is that? So the story is that the Delmonico brothers love to name their dishes after their friends, the patrons, um, and that's kind of what they did throughout throughout their um, run. So Mr. and Mrs. Grand Legrand Benedict used to come into dinner all the time. And one day she was in and she says, you know, I really don't see anything here that I want on this menu. And the Demarco says, okay, we're going to take care of you. We're going to make something that you're going to love. And they came out with Eggs Benedict. Eggs Benedict. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, there have been so many iterations of that dish, but the classic is still, and is it still on the menu? Do you serve lunch or brunch? Or um, We do not serve brunch. We serve lunch. Is it on the menu? Is it on it's, the on the, it's actually on the menu, lunch and dinner. Wow. It never goes off. Yeah, oh, it's that's always. Great. We have the, the grill room um, where it's on all the time. Hmm. And um, that was not the only dish that got its start at Delmonico's. We have lobster Newburgh, um, chicken a la keen. Both of those started. Um, lobster Newburgh was um, Ben Wenberg, who was a friend of the Delmonico brothers, was a sea captain, and he came up with this great dish. And he actually made it tableside for the Delmonico brothers in Delmonico's. And they put it on the menu. They liked it so much. They, they it loved it. Put it on the menu. Lobster Wenberg. Hmm. Lobster, Lobster Wenberg. <laughs> and then they had a disagreement. And they stopped speaking. So the Delmonico brothers were smart enough to say, hey, we don't want to take this off the menu. But we're just going to change the name. And it became Newberg. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Funny how those things happen. Um, you mentioned chicken a la keen. Another I one. Thought, and, and it wasn't Chicken a la King? Well, I was uh, growing up, I always thought Chicken a la King. I think there might be two, maybe they're two separate. I'm not really <laughs> sure on that one. But um, a la King was named after a horse breeder. Hmm. F- again, a friend of the Delmonico's and a customer, and they named it after a horse breeder. Well, it was a royal dish, so I think they probably just said king because it sounded better right <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting well it it's interesting because uh, the um the restaurant was also the first restaurant to use well the first restaurant but it was the first dining establishment to use tablecloths tablecloths such as printed you know, menus printed menus yeah. yeah um first restaurant to allow women to congregate that's right you had to go to a special confectionery if you're a woman to eat you couldn't yeah, come so, into a restaurant alone especially right and it was also the first restaurant to hire a woman Really? Wow. In what, do you know in what capacity? I believe it was a cashier hmm. at the time. Interesting. Um, the, you mentioned the printed menu, and the printed menu was important as well because 
um, as I also mentioned, the restaurants, you had to serve whatever was on, was on the menu or was given that day, yeah. whatever they got um, from the markets or the farms. So this was the first restaurant that allowed you to order what you wanted, right? Correct. First, you could choose what you wanted. A la carte, huh? Yep, that's... Interesting. Well, we're going to talk about a few more of these these well-known dishes and the history of Delmonico's when we come back after a short break. Heritage Foods USA has sold pasture-raised, antibiotic-free heritage meats to restaurants and homes around the country. Our farmers raise their animals with care using traditional methods guaranteed to produce the very best-tasting meat. Our pork breeds include Berkshire, Red Wattle, Duroc, Gloucester Old Spot, Large Black, and Tamworth, and our beef comes from Piedmontese, Angus Akiyushi, Belgian Blue, Highland, Simmental, and Belted Galloway cattle. We also carry a rotation of 24 rare breeds of heritage chicken, seasonal specialties like lamb, goat, geese, and of course, heritage turkeys. Visit us online at www.heritagefoodsusa.com or give us a call at 718-389-0985 to place your order today. Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm talking with Billy Oliva, the executive chef at the famous Delmonico's Restaurant in downtown New York City, the first restaurant in America. And, you know, um, an interesting fact, uh, Andy Smith, um, a great culinary historian, recently wrote a book on the food of New York City. And he did a really nice piece on Delmonico's, giving the history of Delmonico's. And a story that he unearthed, um, which I, I thought was really puts things into perspective. We can say, oh, gee, in 1937, they started the restaurant. In 1962, a chef came on board. But to really put things into perspective as to where America was at that time, he unearthed the story that um, during the start of the Civil War, um, Abraham Lincoln, it happens to do with two things. Um, Abraham Lincoln was um, uh, asked to declare Thanksgiving a, a national holiday in 1864. So, you know, this is just during the beginning of the Civil War. And Abraham Lincoln declares Thanksgiving a national holiday. And he also requests that, oh, I don't know 
how many thousands, you know, thousands and thousands, 20,000 or more, more turkeys be sent to the young men who are fighting in the Civil War. And who steps up to cook all these? Well, who has a, a kitchen big enough to, <laughs> to cook? But the staff at Delmonico's, they volunteered their staff and they roasted, oh, I don't know, I have, to, I have to go back to the book and see. I think it was something, you know, in the upwards of 20,000 turkeys that were roasted and all this volunteer staff you know, then got them ready to be shipped down south. And, I mean, that was quite... Um, quite a compliment to to the Delmonico's and their staff and is that something you could do today oh, we we could get it done i don't think the kitchen is that big anymore but, but we could get it done if we had to there are some some historic <laughs> photographs of the kitchen and they it just it looked in those days it looked cavernous it, mean, it looked a little scary yeah and the staff my god there there must there were hundreds of people on staff it seemed i don't know it was a yeah, there was a, a lot of staff. There was a lot of big mustaches and long beards. And right. <laughs> but they all were wearing chef's toques, I must say. Yeah. I mean, the head, the yeah. head chefs. It was great. Um, you know, we were talking about the many firsts and, and a lot of the, the famous dishes. And I did we cover them all? We got chicken. Yeah, we did. Um, and not only the famous dishes with a big name um, is in the background, but... Delmonico's became kind of like the mecca for the rich and famous and the powerful. And we're talking about way back when. I mean, we're talking about Napoleon and Oscar Wilde and Charles Dickens. Right? Mark Twain. Queen Victoria. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the names go on and on about the people because, well, one could say where else would they go to dine? <laughs> but no, but they were, they had heard such wonderful things. And the rooms, there was, I don't know which room that would be comparable to today well or if it was in the earlier restaurant earlier iteration of the restaurant but i mean there were banquets with i mean huge numbers of people a couple hundred people yeah. where would that have been i guess that would have been in that main the main dining the main room, room. they just yeah. cleared everything out and just i mean there was a photograph i saw an the, old photo the first lady's luncheon was that it that that would have been it. That's one of the photographs we have down mm. at the restaurant. It's amazing the numbers of people that they would have there and how many they could serve and what they would do. Um, so today, and now that you have, it's sort of like the phoenix that has risen <laughs> from the ashes once again. This this wonderful restaurant has is again gained a, a terrific reputation. Um, are you seeing famous faces in there as well? Oh, we do. We do. We can see you, can you can you tell? Sure. Well, well, it, it's I, I think the restaurant has become Mayor de Blasio's favorite. He's been three or four times already. Hmm. Um, Whoopi Goldberg, Keanu Reeves, uh, Robin Williams, Adam Sandler. That's that's pretty good company. Bunch okay. of sports guys. Yeah. yeah. Football players. Yeah, that's great. It's nice to have a, a special place, you know, that that people can go. And I think a lot of times um, you know, we think of these famous steakhouses in New York, and it's, you were right, you know, like about women, is, are they welcome to congregate? Because a lot of the steakhouses seem to be like, you know, man's territory. And this is, this is not, this is a very pretty restaurant. Yeah, a very nice place where, you know, any, anyone feels comfortable sitting. You can feel comfortable. The dining room is beautiful. It's elegant. You can come super dressed up. You can come super relaxed. And the food is not just steak, so it's it's also comfortable for women. Women don't like to eat, at least I think, they don't like to eat tremendous steaks. Uh, yeah, well, sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
in in that was not the way it was. And and if you look at the old photographs, you'll see. I mean, it was an era of special dining, and people wore long gowns, and they and men would wear you know if not tuxedos, they would be in you know ascots yeah. and, and jackets, and it was you know dining was a special experience, and um, if not bringing back that formality. Um, the restaurant has created that ambiance, and and I think that's wonderful by retaining a lot of the, the murals and, you know, and the and the upholstery and the and the tablecloths. Yeah, and yeah, um, and a, the special party room. There's a special party room too, which is quite the nice. The downstairs, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, Billy, you are no stranger to accolades and um, yourself, and you were cooking in when you were in, in Ireland cooking at the Baltimore Customs House, your tasting menu earned the Michelin Bib Gourmand Award. It did, it did. It was, uh, it was a small restaurant. Um, the menus changed daily. Uh, we did two, two tasting menus, a small one and a little bit larger one. And you never knew. I would wait for the boats to come back to know what the fish, whether it was Dover Sole, whether it was Turbo. So it was, it was interesting. And... Uh, Ireland is not really known for food, but that has changed that has so changed. much. <laughs> um, As you know, I, t- I talked to you before. I had Doreen Allen on a couple of times, and she alone has helped yeah, change the food dramatically. And, and the artisanal products available out there. And it actually, I, I saw a whole different picture. You, you really learn. I would, you, you know who your farmer is. You know what they're growing. You, some days you might even have to go to the farm and get it yourself. Hmm. Um, so <clears throat> it really opened my eyes to a whole, a whole different perspective. And that's one of the things I think we took back here. And one of the changes that we made with Delmonico's is let's use what's close and let's that's use right. what's around us and, you know, as much as we can. Well, in, in the early days of, of the establishment of Delmonico's <clears throat> as a restaurant, of course, they had the the stock trade in their backyard. Yeah. I mean, that was a little different. They could just go and grab, although the butchering was, was not what it is today. As you said, they, um, they would go and get the best cut. Yeah. Whatever of, was of available. Yeah. Yeah. Which, but they had, but the beef, as I say, the beef was right there. Everything was right there. And, um, there were farms closer by and yeah. farm markets, but, um, today it's a little different. Um, what in your, in your feeling as, as a, a chef, what dish do you, um, that is a, a classic old dish that's still on the menu, um, do you take the most pride in recreating? Wow. Stumper question. Uh, yeah, I've got to wow. have one. <laughs> um, well, the, the, the chicken alakeen dish, uh, I'm, I kind of believe when you come to a restaurant like Delmonico's, I always keep this in the back of my head, do you want to eat chicken? And so we have to give you something. We have to make that dish. Over the top, huh? Over the top. But also kind of stick with some of the trends. Um, and, and the health, health concerns. The, for a long time, the dish was served buttered noodles, pimentos, mushrooms, and peas. That's not very ex- – and, and it was kind of a sherry cream sauce is what some of the stuff, the, the history that I've, I've learned on it. So I said, okay, how can we take that, keep the components, but maybe make it totally different? Okay, so what'd you do? Um, we use a farro pasta, which is a little bit healthy. Um, we use, now we have available to us all kinds of 
porcinis, black trumpet mushrooms, morels, um, English peas, tons of peppers, piquillo peppers from Spain. And, you know, so we've kind of just kept it the same with the same ingredients, just changed them a little bit. Uh, we do the sauce is now kind of a porcini reduction. Um, and it changes throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, as the seasons change, you know, the ingredients will change. Um, the one thing we did do, we added a little bit of seared foie gras to it. Oh, well, <laughs> come on. That completely changes <laughs> the dish. That's that cheating. puts it over right. the top a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. But I guess, you know, if you're going to go in, you, you know, one of, as you say, who likes to order just chicken on the menu? But it's funny because that dish became so famous um, throughout the country, like Eggs Benedict, but more of, of a I think famous in every home kitchen as yeah. well. I think every mother at a certain era had her own version of chicken Absol- alicang. How if it was just cream chicken soup yep. <laughs> dumped on noodles? Hey, that's chicken. Throw in a few peas and you got chicken alicang, right? <laughs> but, yeah, so. yeah. But this, it's interesting that that was a you know a, a very special um, touch dish that was not a common ordinary. A plate of food that you know as we would might think of it today well it certainly isn't an ordinary plate of food the way you describe it <laughs> with foie gras i'll take the chicken alakeen thank you that's terrific um anything that you've um that you've come across that has been um not gonna say a problem for you but do you have people you know today's dining everyone's either gluten-free or vegan or vegetarian what you know do you have wow. issues like that? I'm sure. Um, every day we deal with gluten free and celiac is uh, is another big one. Um, it's not really an issue. It's become so commonplace now, and, and dairy free. And what about vegetarian? I mean, you're vegan. Not, you're not known to be a vegetarian. You know, ve- no, vegetable heavy restaurant. It's <laughs> kind of strange when somebody comes into the restaurant and says, "I'm a vegan," but we always we always can accommodate. Um, matter of fact, we have a party tomorrow where. The, the list of, of things that this person can have is about two pages long. You say, stay at home. Why come to a restaurant? No. So, no. Well, so, they, want, they, want to be, they want the experience and to come out. And then to make an effort to accommodate these people, I think, is valiant. Well, you have to. Least. You have to, you know. Um, and there's restaurants all over the city now. And we, we don't do it. But just with, you know, and I, I, it's one of the things I've often thought about, just vegetable tasting menus and vegetable courses which is you know oh, they're fa- and they're fabulous yeah, i mean they yeah. just i can't actually envision the your creamed spinach dish being on there which <laughs> is marvelous by the way <laughs> but um yeah i could see where you could devise something like that and then perhaps that you know i mean we knows? have we have there's, there's mushrooms out now that if you grill it and you season it it's you'd almost think you're eating a steak sure the royal trumpets are beautiful, big, mm. thick, meaty mushrooms, and there's there's a lot of stuff to to offer. And to think that um, you know, I don't that would not particularly have been um, an idea that anyone would have placed on the menu at that time, and it was really meat and potatoes back know, then. It was meat yeah. and potatoes with a lot yeah. of French influence. I mean, there were a lot of French sauces, and everything was served with a sauce, right? They so did. It was. It was Elegant dining, but as you mentioned before, heavy, <laughs> heavy yeah, elegant. A dining. lot of cream, a lot of butter. Yeah. Well, it's I'm I'm so happy to see that the elegance is back, minus some of the heaviness, and uh, and that it's a welcoming place as as well, and what history it does have, and the location is um, 
way, way downtown New York City on um, Beaver, Beaver Street at William. Street, 56 yeah. Beaver at William. And it's a building you can't miss. It no, it's kinda looks like the Flatiron not. Building. It's it that does. It's a bit, yeah. Flatiron Building on steroids. That's right. It's a heftier, bigger, yeah. heftier triangle. That's right. <laughs> Good description. Um, and it's just – and that whole – that whole district is changing dramatically as well. Oh, unbelievable changes. In I will be there about five years in August. And just it, it's becoming residential. It's, it's That's right. Some of the buildings, the Cocoa Exchange is now luxury condominiums and beautiful buildings. And that big Spruce Street, Spruce Street um, complex that went up, the big apartment building. Yeah. And it used to be if you went down there after 6 o'clock at night, it was shut down. It was dark and no one was there, right? But now there's activity. There are bars. There are some nightlife oh, yeah. there, and a lot of shops are opening. You, in fact, have um, been instrumental in opening a little a little sidebar to Delmonico's that you nicknamed DK. Tell me about Delmonico's so, Kitchen. So Delmonico's Kitchen was their um, second Delmonico's outpost. Um, it's on 36th Street between 7th and 8th. And what we wanted to do with that is we wanted to make it a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more. Uh, the area is different. It's it's close to Times Square. Um, it's you know close to Madison Square Garden, so a little bit more approachable to to everybody. Um, it's kind of a hip, cool, black and white tile on the floor, and um, it's opened about two years, hmm. and it's doing quite well. That's great. And you also opened a place in Southampton? Southampton. This will be our second season out there. Um, right across the street from the train station, so it's really easy to take the train, <laughs> right. come across the street, and yeah, we're right go there. Back, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so like the original Delmonico's, you're starting to spread your wings and a little bit. A little right? bit, yeah. yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're doing it really well. Uh, the restaurant in Southampton is beautiful. has beautiful outdoor dining. Um, and this year we're going to feature an oyster bar out there, outside. Now oysters, oysters must have played large on the original menu at um, at the original Demonicos, right? Oh, they did, and they, that is actually a dish that we forgot to talk about: oysters, Jim, diamond, Jim Brady. Oh, right, yeah. Tell me about that. So, um, what the dish is? The dish, what we do today is there's loads of bacon and cheese and spinach and champagne. Um, it's a champagne cream sauce, and. Um, all that stuff is the oysters are the oysters change all the time. We we use different ones. Mm-hmm. Um, the oysters are kind of stuffed and baked, and some shaved black truffle when it's available goes over the top of them. Once again, and, you bring it up over the top, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Diamond Jim Brady was known to be over over the top. The top. <laughs> yeah, that's so. Yeah, so that's great. And I am read somewhere that supposedly um, the. Chef back in the in the 30s was the first to introduce Americans to the avocado. I don't know what if there's any validity to that, but the alligator pear, as they called it, and I don't know if if that has been uh, verified. But well, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna yeah, have to research. That, I mean, there are one. all sorts yeah. of stories that come out of the woodwork. You know, it's but, also I've also heard the first we didn't invent the hamburger, but it was the first restaurant to put the hamburger on the printed menu. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's. I mean, there are. It's. You figure at restaurant that that's that old. 
It's bound to have a lot of firsts, definitely. And it's just such a lovely place to look at. And when you look at it, you don't even have to walk through the doors. I mean, you just look standing on the outside looking yes. at the, the portico and the, and the building. You get a sense of history. And you can kind of you know, close your eyes and think of what old New York used to look like. You know, and that, oh, and that absolutely. Was, that was old New York. Yeah. And made a, a real change in how we dine in America today. And I thank you so much for sharing all this information. Great, it's been you. a real pleasure. And you've been listening to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>